So Jesus, you are here, and we know you are here, and we ask that you would teach us from your word, reveal yourself to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there is this phrase in movie making called the reveal. And what it is, it's a plot twist, usually at the end, that makes you reevaluate the entire story. So, for instance, the movie The Sixth Sense, right? Like once you've seen it, you can never see it again because the reveal at the end changes the whole way you see that film. And, and if you haven't seen it, I don't want to give it away, but, but basically, Bruce Willis is dead for the whole movie. If you haven't seen it by now, you weren't going to see it, all right? So, sorry about that. The reveal changes everything. So this summer, we're doing a sermon series called, But What Does It Mean? Looking at kind of key theological concepts that, that Christians throw around a lot, but sometimes don't really know what they mean deep down, right? including pastors sometimes. And I want to start with kind of the foundational principle of, 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 of our faith, of Christianity, and that is the word revelation, the concept revelation. We follow a God who has revealed himself to us. And this is unique because in most modern religions, God doesn't reveal himself. We have to be good enough or enlightened enough to kind of get to him and figure him out. In ancient religions, the gods were cruel, so people were always trying to figure out what the gods wanted by doing things like examining the intestines of animals and things like that. And you just have to listen to a sermon, so be grateful, right? <laughs> but the God revealed in Jesus, because see, Jesus is the big reveal who changes everything. That God doesn't demand that we figure him out. He reveals himself to us. And this is why Jesus makes the most sense to me, because God is bigger than we are, so, so we can't figure him out on our own. That'd be like my gold, a goldfish trying to figure me out, right? It's not going to work. So God's going to have to come to us, which he does in the person of Jesus, and he doesn't, and here's the really interesting thing. He doesn't reveal himself to special people or holy people or good people. No, he hangs out with thieves and terrorists and prostitutes. This is radically different than any other God ever in history. Jesus is the God who speaks, the God who shows up, the God who gets personal, the God who comes to us, calls us by name and says, come here. I got something I want to tell you. And it's really good news. And the psalm that we just read shows how God, the various ways God reveals himself to us. And this sermon is going to be kind of a little teachy, teachier than normal, a little more informational. Because, uh, you know, as Christians, there are things we need to feel and there are things we need to know. This is a things you need to know sermon. Plus, this is summer and only the committed core comes. So we're going to parse Hebrew words. We're going to talk theology. It's just going to be awesome because you guys can handle it. Okay, the, the psalm starts out, the heavens are declaring. In Hebrew, it means continuously, constantly declaring the glory of God. In other words, God reveals himself through nature. And most of us have had that experience being in nature and just feeling like there's a God behind all of it. I mean, it's one of the things I just love about living here. Like you can be driving down the ugliest section of Aurora Avenue in Seattle, right? Like the ugliest section, and suddenly there's Mount Rainier, and you're like, then sings my soul, right? <laughs> Just like that, which is why I'm not in the band. Right? As another hymn says, in the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Creation points to a creator. 
Now, most of us have heard scientists talk about how fine-tuned Earth is to support intelligent life. Things like if Earth were just a little further from the sun, we'd freeze. Just a little bit closer, we'd be crispy fries, right? If our atmosphere was just a tiny bit thinner, meteors would, you know, smash us up into mashed potatoes, right? Dozens of things like that. Science and Christianity are not opposed. It's just the Bible says the, the why and the who of creation, not the how of creation. But both science and Christianity posit an impossibility, that at the beginning of all things, something has always existed that was never created, either matter and energy or God. But either way, it's a heck of a leap of faith, right? Science takes just a big of a leap. It is just a big of a leap to say that matter and energy have always existed as to say that God has. But which leap you choose makes all the difference in the world. Because if it's just matter and energy, then we're just a random arrangement of atoms. Who cares about us? We're alone in a universe. But if there's a creator, then we're, we were created on purpose for a purpose. Nature points to a God who designed the world and designed it not just to sustain us. This is the other cool thing. Like, but also to delight us, right? Like he could have just made one kind of animal and one kind of plant, but he didn't make all this. I mean, he made a platypus. Like Why? Because it's funny. <laughs> the platypus declares the glory of God, right? The heavens declare it. But the heavens creation doesn't tell us everything we need to know about God. For that, we need something else. Which is why in verse 7, the psalmist shifts from talking about nature to something else. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And by law, he means scripture, the Bible. Pastor John Ortberg says, you ever wonder why there are no Moabites or Amalekites in the news these days? Or like any other people group from Bible times? Like when was the last time you ran into a Philistine at QFC? Right? Right? So how is it that the Jews, a small group of desert nomads, not only survived but changed the whole world? Well, it wasn't through power because they were always being conquered. It wasn't wealth. They didn't have any. They had something no one else had. They had a book. And it wasn't just words. It was the living God revealing himself to them. And it was shockingly different than the culture from which it emerged. At the time, slavery was just a given, which the Bible acknowledges, but seeks to, sought to limit its effects, diminish its effects, commanding that slaves be released every, uh, at, after six years in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, arguing for outright emancipation, unheard of at the time. In a culture where women were considered property, the Bible said no, they have soul, they have dignity, and they were given leadership and authority unheard of at the time. In a culture where it was just routine, normal, to oppress poor, or the poor, orphans, immigrants, exploit them, the Bible says no, care for marginalized people. All around the world at the time, the gods were, power, were powerful, cruel, capricious, and along comes the Bible and says no, God is love shockingly, scandalously different than the culture from which it emerged and because of that could critique that culture. And through scripture, over centuries, God progressively reveals his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. But the Bible also speaks to us personally to encourage us. And I want us to read this verse together. Um, this verse together. Read it with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. We don't usually think of God's commands as refreshing the soul, right? But it does. I got an email a while back from a woman who was having a rough season in life. And, and her email said this, Last night I was awake at 4 a.m. walking through a list of what's not good in me. Ever done that? Like I do it all the time. 
Then it moved on to what I had in the past that I wish I still had, success in my career, my beautiful home, my friends in California, profound sense of loss and pain. The voice in my head was full of accusation and regret. So I finally did what I've learned to do in such times. I went in another room and read the Bible, worked through Ephesians and Paul's prayer that we would know God's love, the height, breadth, and depth of God's love. I began to feel the healing effect of the word of God that lifts us out of despair, felt the hope I have in Jesus push back against the evil one's attack. See, God spoke to her personally through, through, through Scripture in a way that refreshed her soul. In fact, the psalm even goes so far as to say this, and I want to read this verse together too, okay? Read it with me. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. They are sweeter than honey. By them is your servant warned. Do you think of God's commands as giving joy, being sweeter than honey? Right? We tend to think of God's commands as all the stuff we can't do and have fun, right? But ultimate joy is found by following them. Take God's commands on sex. Like, to our culture, hardly anything more oppressive than that, right? Well, there's a pastor named Victor Marx, had a very difficult life, was abandoned when he was five, reunited later with his mother. She had seven marriages, even more boyfriends. Many of them hit him. He met Jesus and healed from some of those wounds. And he now goes into juvenile prisons and preaches. And one of the things he tells them is to save sex for marriage. So how do you think that goes down in the juvenile prison? Right? They jeer at him. They're like, oh, man, you're so uptight. And then he says, well, think of it this way. If everyone did just this one thing that Jesus says to do, save sex till married, then got married and had a whole lot of sex and loved your spouse and stayed committed and kept making sex fun and dynamic, then most of you would have had a dad at home who wouldn't have left your mom for another woman. And you girls who see the magazine covers and feel inadequate wouldn't feel that way because our culture wouldn't be so hypersexualized. Some of you wouldn't have been abused. Some of you wouldn't have had to watch your mom bring home multiple boyfriends or your dad bring home girlfriend after girlfriend, many of whom mistreated you. Now, in Jesus, there is no judgment. In Jesus, there is no judgment. In Jesus, there is no condemnation. But what sounds restrictive from God is really meant in love to set us free. And he says they usually applaud by the end and say to him privately, you know what, deep down, that's actually what I really want. See, there may be some wisdom in that old book after all. Let's say you're stressed out, as I sometimes am, about what people are thinking about me, reputation. You know why? It's because we've broken the first command, no other God but God. And we've made our job or reputation or whatever it is more important to us than, than God. See, real freedom is not found in having no boundaries. Freedom is found in having the right boundaries. And my wife and I, my wife and I learned this really clearly when we had three little kids, right? And, and we put them to bed at the same time every night, fairly early actually, so that we could have time together. And we were really strict about it, right? And it did not take them long, just a few days, to learn to stay in their bed. And the result was they were well-rested, which meant they felt better. And my wife and I got a few hours together without being interrupted. Sweeter than honey. And all it took was a couple of days of going back to your bed, right? That's all it took. Our policy was jail wardens for a week, free for life. <laughs> Discipline is liberating. Now, sometimes I'll hear people say, ah, oh, the Bible is so outdated, it just doesn't fit our culture. No, it doesn't. Didn't fit the culture back then either. That's its power. That's the power of revealed religion. We didn't make it up. It comes from outside of our culture. So it can critique not just our culture, but any culture. 
Christianity is so counterculture that in a totalitarian regime, like the old communist bloc countries, right? In those regimes, Christians were the radical revolutionaries because we refused to say that the state is God. But in an individualistic culture, we look conservative because we say our desires are good but can be dangerous if not properly channeled. And if we're only going to do what God says to do if it fits our culture, then really it's our culture telling us how to live, not God. And have no illusions. Make no mistake. Something is telling you how to live. Do not fall prey to the illusion that you're making those decisions on your own. You are not. If I am honest, I am part guided by Scripture and a lot guided by culture. And we are like a culture that has been out partying all night and is waking up with a terrible hangover. Right? Like we binged on sex and drugs and we woke up to addiction. We binged on materialism and woke up to debt. And that's why we have to view culture through the lens of Scripture, not the other way around. We interpret Fox News or MSNBC through Scripture, not Scripture through Fox News or MSNBC. Do you hear me, church? I'm talking to someone today. <laughs> now, sometimes I'll hear folks say, well, well, aren't there things in the Bible that we just ignore because it doesn't fit our culture, like women in ministry? Isn't that not okay in the Bible? You know, well, in a few places it says that. But in other places, women do lead, women do teach, women do have authority. So where Scripture gives us multiple options, we can choose, but where it gives us one option, God says, for your own sake, follow me so that you can have freedom and joy. Sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, Scott, Bible can be interpreted lots of ways. Who says your way is right? And, and, and yes, there are places where there's lots of different ways you can interpret something, but on the main things, it is very clear and it is very consistent. When I taught literature to college students, inevitably, every class, some student would say, you know, Professor Dudley, Hamlet can be interpreted lots of different ways. So who, who are you to grade my essay? How can you say I'm right or wrong, right? Because it's all subjective. It can be read lots of different ways. And I'd say, you're right, there are lots of interpretations. But the question is, did you do a fair read of the text, or did you strain the text to make your point? And while, yes, you can say a great many things about Hamlet, right, unfortunately, your argument that he was the Queen of France is not one of them. <laughs> because he is quite clearly the Prince of Denmark, C minus. <laughs> is it a fair read of the text, or are you straining the text? God speaks through Scripture, reveals himself, so read it. Right? Because the more Scripture that's in your head, the more God can talk to you by calling to mind key verses at just the right moment. So how about between now and Christmas, you read Matthew through Romans in the New Testament, right? And then and just a little light summer beach reading for you, okay? Matthew through Romans. And then if you want to do advanced work, you get done with that, I will give you the Holly Dudley Bible Reading Guide. I've mentioned this before. When my daughter was nine, she wanted to read the Bible, so I created a condensed version for her, right? Left all, all the begats, that sort of thing, right? And so she'd read a little, little bit of it and then summarize for me so I knew that she'd understood it, and then she'd go on to the next part. She read the whole thing in four months. My daughter, she was only nine. That has nothing to do with this sermon. You just need to know. <laughs> Get a good study Bible to help you. I've listed a few in the bulletin. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. Find someone who knows it well. Our God speaks through nature, through scripture. And next, our God speaks through Jesus. After talking about God's commands, which bring joy, the psalmist says this, but who can discern their errors? I mean, he thinks about God's commands, and it's kind of funny almost. He thinks about God's commands. He goes, uh-oh, I'm not doing this stuff. Right? And then he says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. So he starts out saying, the heavens declare the glory of God, but he ends saying, I need a redeemer. 
See, the psalm points to Jesus, whose death on the cross pays the price for our sins and redeems us. See, hear this. Christianity is not for good people. Christianity is for moral failures like me. And if you are a moral failure, welcome home. Because we know we need forgiveness. And Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. Jesus is everything God wants to say. And he says to you, I love you, and you are forgiven, and I believe in you, and you are enough. God reveals himself in nature, scripture, through Jesus, and then finally, personally. Right? The first part of this psalm where it talks about God, it uses the, word, the generic Hebrew word for God, Elohim. But midway through the psalm, it switches to Yahweh, which is kind of God's personal name, God's first name, if you will. In other words, we are on a first name basis with God. And he speaks to us personally through the nudges he gives us to do this or do that. Or those thoughts that I know aren't my thoughts because they're not like the way I think. right? Or sometimes it's a picture in our mind or a feeling or a dream. God can even use people that we don't like to reveal something to us. Now, God doesn't always give us all the details, right, that we'd like him to. Doesn't give us always all the specifics, the step-by-step. -step, and then that's what we want him to do and we try to make him do that. Doesn't always do it. I recently heard about a, a college guy who'd been hanging out with this one woman and it was getting kind of romantic. And he was wondering whether or not he should kiss her. And he wanted to kind of be, bring, you know, be guided by God. So he decided that he would open his Bible and randomly put his finger down whatever verse he landed on. Okay, very dangerous, right? And he would take that, whatever verse it was, he'd take that as a sign from God whether or not he should kiss her. Well, his finger landed on a passage in the book of Isaiah that said, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. So God doesn't always give us the details or work like that. A lot of times when we're at a decision point, a lot of times I think what God is saying to us is as long as it's moral, ethical, biblical, and legal, you pick. And I will work, I am so powerful, I will work with whatever decision you make to get my purposes done in your life. You pick. And my experience is when God wants us to do something specific, he gets very, very clear. Now, those thoughts, those, these, these ways we think God is talking to us, obviously we have to check those against Scripture and with the counsel of other people to discern what God is and maybe is not saying. So, for instance, recently we've had a couple of people here who are good at hearing God in prayer tell us that in their prayers they're getting the sense that this big earthquake that's supposed to happen is going to happen sooner rather than later. Now, who knows if that is real or not? Who knows if they heard God or not? I mean, you've got to be super careful with that sort of thing. You know, mates, dates, and babies. You know, just got to be kind of really careful about kind of predicting those things. Right? But it got some of us thinking, well, what if it did happen? How should God's people respond? Hint, not in fear. And I started thinking about the Christians in the Roman Empire. And whenever the plague hit the city and everyone left, including the doctors, the Christians rushed in and cared for plague victims. Right? And as a result, people flocked to Christianity and it created kind of this revival. And they didn't know when the plague would hit. They just knew it would because that's what plagues do. They hit, right? So what if rather than responding in fear, God's people were a source of calm and reason? Maybe had supplies, not just for ourselves, but to share with neighbors. How might that help people see the real Jesus? So whether those people heard God in prayer or not, who knows? Who knows, right? But either way, it was still a revelation to be ready spiritually and physically, not just for an earthquake, but for whatever might, because lots of stuff happens. The bottom line is this. Our God wants to be known by you. 
I was talking to a man in his 30s several years ago, was in a relationship with a woman who did not treat him well. And he was not a Christian at the time. But the more he heard about the real Jesus from friends, the more interested he got. And one day he was at the lake here in Bellevue, suddenly felt this presence with him. And he said it felt like someone lifted a heavy backpack off his back. And he suddenly just felt lighter. And he said, in that moment, my romantic interest in this woman, who was no good but had become an addiction, said it was just gone. He said all my interest in Eastern religion, which he'd been dabbling in, just gone. And he knew that God had revealed himself personally to him. So he started coming here to church, and he and I met occasionally, and he became a follower of Jesus. A few years later, met this great woman, married her. They went to a country in the developing world to do relief work for two years. And now he's back and going to graduate school on the East Coast. Well, he was here on a visit a while back, and, and between the stress of school and work and some friendships that were kind of tough, right, he felt anxious, he felt far from God. So one morning, he got up before dawn, went to that same spot at the lake where God showed up a couple years earlier, kind of wanting to recreate that experience, right? And he stood by the lake for a long time and felt nothing, like no presence, no voice, no nothing, just nothing, you know, just groggy, tired, and cold. That was it. Well, finally, he turned to leave, and right as he did, the sun kind of came up over the horizon. And a Bible verse popped into his head and said, Behold, I am doing a new thing. And then he got a thought that said, You don't have to look back to what I've done. I'm doing new things today. Don't look to where the sun has set. Look to where it's rising. And all the stress he'd been carrying about work and relationships, right, it just lifted. And he knew that the God of the universe had just talked to him, and that made him feel loved. And in the process, gave me the perfect sermon illustration for this sermon. <laughs> God spoke to him in nature, through scripture, through Jesus, and personally to him. Our God speaks. I'll close with this. While back in a sermon, I think it was last year, I, I talked about a town in Minnesota that had annual turtle races. And everyone would show up, cheer and yell and get super excited. I said, said that was kind of unusual because everyone in this town was Scandinavian, you know, Minnesota, so they were Scandinavian, not the most demonstrable people in the world, right? Well, after the service, a man came up to me and said, I'm from Minnesota. And I said, oh, I, I'm sorry, I hope I didn't offend you. And he said, no, 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 it's true, we're not very demonstrable. In fact, have you heard about the Minnesotan man who loved his wife so much he almost told her? <laughs> That's not God. That's not God. God loves us so much he tells us over and over and over again, the heavens declare the glory of God and his love for you. Scripture tells one story about a God who made us in love to be loved. A God who never gives up on us even when we reject him. A God who chooses the weak and he makes them strong. A God who rescues his people from bondage. A God who loves us so much he is willing to die for us so that we could live for him. Are you feeling alone? You are not. God says, I'll never leave you. Are you confused as to a decision you're trying to make? As long as you are in the ballpark of remotely faithful to God, he will guide you whether you see it or not. You can't screw this up. And I know some of you are like, oh, pastor, I can so screw this up, right? No. If you are offering even just your half-baked, half-hearted prayers, God will get his purposes done in your life. Are you going through a painful trial right now? Jesus says, I am here. I am with you. I am your pain bearer. Our God speaks. He calls us by name and says, come here. I got something I want to tell you. So are we listening? Jesus, thank you that you are the God who talks. Thank you that all the promises God made find their yes in you. 
And Lord, I pray that this week, every person in this room, just all around us, um, that we would see you everywhere, hear you everywhere. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts to feel. And know your presence everywhere, Jesus. Thank you for being with us. We pray this in your name. Amen.